Times of Restoration Written by Orville Swindoll Read by Jeffrey Swindoll Chapter 3 Bound Together by the Spirit Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Psalm 55 In mid-1967, a visitor from the USA told us a story about some well-bred ducks. It seems that the owner of these ducks had them all carefully separated into pens according to their various species, and everything went according to plan until a flood came that caused the water level to rise above the tops of the fences. Once it did, all efforts to keep the species from mixing were vain. What's more, the ducks seemed to thoroughly enjoy the freedom and new companionship. We got the message. The illustration fit our situation perfectly. Most of those attending the meetings in the Darling home had been carefully fenced into ecclesiastical pens. On the whole, relations were friendly between the various evangelical denominations, and even cooperative in certain activities such as a Bible society program or an evangelistic campaign with well-known figures like Oswald Smith or Billy Graham. However, anything more involved than that tended to be frowned upon. Probably the legal situation of the churches fomented this sectarian attitude. Since the 1940s, a national law had been in effect that required all non-Catholic groups to register with the government, indicating their affiliation, their places of meeting, constituency, doctrinal position, and form of government. The law had been rigidly enforced at times, and more flexibly at others, depending upon the posture of the changing political authorities but it did tend to check the growth of spontaneous groups and to strengthen the position of those having a recognized government permit. Some of the denominational leaders used this permit also as a means to enforce conformity on the threat of denouncing any who persisted in deviating from tradition. However, the spiritual vitality of these Monday night gatherings, plus the clear indications that there were no intentions of turning the group into another church, tended to clear the air of any sectarian struggle. Moreover, those who seemed to be largely responsible for moderating the meetings, always plural and varied from week to week, were, for the most part, pastors or elders themselves of existing congregations in different parts of metropolitan Buenos Aires. Some of them had almost impeccable credentials. Augusto Erickson, for instance, an elder and one of the more effective preachers in a large denomination, had for some 20 years been one of the principal speakers on a daily evangelistic radio program. He was on the staff of editors of a missionary journal in European countries as well. Born in Argentina, Augusto is conversant in English as well as Spanish and Swedish, and occasionally served as interpreter for visiting preachers from overseas. He is several years the senior of Alberto Darling, and since their wives were sisters, the men were very close to each other, even living just two blocks apart. Thus, Augusto learned very soon of Alberto's experience with the Holy Spirit, having a very warm devotional life and a deep love for the scriptures, plus a high regard for the integrity of his brother-in-law, he determined to study the matter for himself. Not long after, alone in his own bedroom, he knelt and asked the Lord to fill him with the Holy Spirit. Soon he was filled to overflowing. Being a cautious man nonetheless, he kept the experience a secret for several weeks while he sounded out his colleagues and sought the Lord for answers to questions he anticipated would be asked. He could hardly have realized that in a few months' time, he would be forcibly removed from every denominational responsibility 
and literally turned out of the church. He had effectively served as elder and pastor for so many years. A revolutionary experience. Even earlier than Augusto, another member of the same evangelistic team, Yvonne Baker, had felt deep misgivings about the inconsistency between his own biblical fundamentalism and his dearth of spiritual vitality. During the team's tour through Europe, he saw tiny congregations more enslaved to tradition than to the Lord, where the names on the church roster had not changed for years. He was told over and over again that the seed of the gospel had not produced more fruit because the ground was too hard. The really cutting blow, however, was that he had seen other churches, especially Pentecostal groups, in the same towns and cities that had multiplied in number over recent years. Could the ground be the problem then? Or was the problem not rather the sowers? He had to find an answer to these questions. He decided to resign from the team, where he had been both artist and baritone soloist, and give himself to searching the scriptures for some answers. He also decided to swallow his prejudice and visit some Pentecostal churches near his home. This didn't lead to much at the beginning, especially since the contrasts with his own background were almost too great to handle at that time. But it did begin to open him up to possibilities he had never dreamed of before in his strict fundamentalist upbringing. Later, he led his congregation in Isidro Casanova into a long period of serious study of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. This was followed by some soul-searching, prayer meetings that prepared the way for what was to follow. In 1965, Ivan and I met at a spiritual retreat organized by Keith Benson, then missionary and field director for Overseas Crusades. At that time, Ivan was in the midst of his search, which had already made him look unstable and unsettled to so many of his friends. They were simply unable to appreciate at the time that it was his deep inner commitment to something permanent and stable, something vital and eternal, which made him appear erratic to them. Inwardly, he knew that he was committed to a search that could not cease until he found the Lord's blessing. And find it he did. In a life-revolutionizing experience in prayer in 1966, his world was turned upside down, or rather right side up. He was ready to shout it from the housetops, or at least all his comrades that would give him a hearing. Soon he was able to lead practically his entire congregation in Casanova, then nothing could stop them. Ever since then, Ivan and his followers have seemed to be almost everywhere at once. His tireless energies and his unyielding commitment to make Christ known have made him the beloved leader and pastor of hundreds of men and women, many of whom he has personally led to the Lord and trained in the same heavenly craft. Large frame, big heart, broad smile. Keith Benson had already served four years as a missionary in Uruguay when he came with his family to Argentina in 1958. From Presbyterian background, he had finished Bible school at Biola in Los Angeles. It was there he met a former missionary to China and later the founder of a forward-looking mission called Overseas Crusades. After their first term in Uruguay with another mission, Keith and Roberta associated themselves with Hillis's mission and came to Argentina. They first settled in the city of Córdoba, moving to Buenos Aires in 1965. Keith has always had a gracious manner and winsome way, so that he soon won his way into the hearts of many Argentine believers and pastors, especially among the Evangelical Union of South America, the Brethren, the Baptists, and the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He was soon offered the editorship of a little four-page evangelistic monthly, La Voz, widely distributed by churches throughout the country. At the same time, he was busy preaching at special conferences, youth camps, Bible schools, evangelistic crusades, and wherever a door was opened. Everywhere his six-foot-three-inch frame and a broad smile made a lasting impression, 
as his audiences were charmed by his sincerity and his eloquent presentation of the love and truth of the gospel. While he was ready to teach others and share anything the Lord had made real to him, he never stopped learning. His heart was always open to the manifold grace and ways of God, always ready to sit at the feet of a simple farmer or a white-haired theologian, ever seeking to bring out the best and the deepest from a man, never tiring in his open-handed generosity and willingness to share in whatever burden to work was closest to hand. Keith has always been known to the Argentines as a lover of people. His heart and home always seemed to be open to seekers after God or to his wearied servants who need refreshing. Behind and underneath all these outward expressions is a devoted man of prayer and a lover of the Word of God. Years ago, a pastor in the Argentine interior, not particularly fond of Keith, told me, I really don't go for his ideas or his ways, but you've got to pray with Keith to get to know him, and I shall personally never forget the time I visited in his home in order to read the entire Bible through in 30 days. Keith's ministry often took him far into the interior of the country and almost always in the company of one or two other pastors or promising young men. Together they would preach, teach and pray, ministering to large or small audiences, and always seeking to learn more of what the Lord was doing in different places. So it was that in 1964, Keith, a Methodist pastor and a brethren missionary, found themselves in Tucumán province in the far northwest. They had gone to contact local pastors in preparation for some special evangelistic meetings with Argentine evangelist Fernando Vangioni. There they met Jack Scheisler, a missionary whose gracious manner and fruitful outreach in the province deeply touched their spirit. Inquiring further, they discovered that Jack credited the success of their witness to an experience of the Holy Spirit's fullness, which not only he, but most of the new believers as well had known. His simple and clear testimony moved them all to heart-searching prayer. Upon his return to Cordoba, Keith sought and received the same experience in his own home. Thereafter, he quietly but very effectively shared his newfound joy with intimate friends. Eventually, many other pastors were filled as he prayed for them. It was Keith who later shared Larry Christensen's pamphlet with Alberto Darling. In the years 1965, 1966, and 1967, Keith organized annual spiritual retreats in the large population centers of Buenos Aires, Mar del Plata, Córdoba, and Tucumán. These turned out to have a tremendous impact upon the churches in these areas. Much like John the Baptist's ministry in preparing the hearts of the people for the ministry of Jesus Christ, these retreats were breaking the ground and opening up the way for the spiritual awakening that was to break upon us in force in 1967. Yet almost as soon as the series of retreats was concluded in 1967, Keith left the country with his family, bound for the USA, and a graduate course at the School of World Mission at Fuller Theological Seminary. Just before their departure in May, he sold or gave away everything since he felt sure his ministry was concluded in Argentina. He even liquidated the mission's assets in the country. But God had other plans. This beloved man of God, who had through his example and his oral ministry, done so much to open up the land to a mighty move of God and to serve as a liaison to bring together key men, could not miss out on all that was to follow. His brothers and sisters in Argentina could never accept his absence as final, but then we're getting ahead of our story. At a literature conference. Though we saw each other again a couple times in the next few years, we really didn't get acquainted until 1965. My wife, Irma Jean, had a dream sometime earlier which seemed to indicate that Keith would, at some point, 
have some specific intervention in direction of our lives. And so it turned out. In 1965, Keith urged me to attend one of the retreats planned for Cordoba and to bring along some copies of the magazine for believers I had begun publishing the year before. Vision Celestial had immediately found acceptance among a broad spectrum of Christians, and Keith wanted to give it some promotion. So he asked me to say a few words at the retreat, and then copies were given to all those in attendance. Soon after that, he recommended me for some engagements he could not fill himself, which gave me entrance to several of the other major denominations. In 1966 and, in 1966 and 1967, we worked closely together at the retreats he planned throughout Argentina. Antonio Elias, a Presbyterian pastor from Niteroi, Brazil, was the other speaker in 1967. God sovereignly used this man of faith to open the hearts of the Argentine believers to a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Buenos Aires, Cordoba, and Tucumán, fervent prayer meetings broke out spontaneously following the Saturday evening meetings, and small groups of saints gathered together in their rooms in the open air, in tents, and under the trees to seek the Lord. Many of these prayer groups continued until the wee hours of the morning, and a good number of seekers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Irma Jean and I had both been raised in Baptist families in Texas and had come to know the Lord at an early age. When we met each other in 1952, we both had a deep hunger for a closer walk with the Lord. Each of us had already been quite concerned about our need for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but it was not until we were on our honeymoon that we began to, that we began to seek in earnest. The search was fulfilled in March 1953 as we overflowed in worship to the Lord. From that time forward, I was converted into an inveterate worshiper. After a time of pastoring a church in Texas and a brief period with other missionaries in southern Mexico, we moved to Argentina in 1959. I had previously visited the country with another pastor for three months in 1958. For nearly a year and a half, we worked in Resistencia Chaco in the midst of a great spiritual awakening, where which had begun under the ministry of missionary Clifford Long. Then in 1961, the Lord clearly led us to the city of Santa Fe about halfway between Resistencia and Buenos Aires. Most of those years, we were involved principally in evangelism and the training of Christian workers until we started publishing the magazine Vision Celestial in 1964. Although filled with the Spirit in a Pentecostal church, I never quite fit that mold. Since college days, a longing to see and experience the church as the body of Christ without sectarian walls, reaching out to all and upward to God, had filled my heart and mind. Somehow I knew that the only way to reach that goal was to learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I set myself to learn His ways, to follow His anointing, to hold back when He did not move ahead, to encourage others to press ahead, to encourage others to press ahead when the spirit, to encourage others to press ahead when the Spirit was moving. I knew that obedience to Him was the secret to all spiritual success. As I became acquainted one by one with the men that later were involved in the prayer meetings in the Darling Home, I sensed that they, like myself, were God-fearing men who had a sensitive heart and ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So convinced were we that the Lord was doing a new and sovereign thing that my wife and I, with our four children, moved from Santa Fe to Buenos Aires in 1967. That turned out to be one of the most momentous decisions of our lives.